Hello and welcome to Elucidations, an unexpected philosophy podcast. I'm Matt Teichman, and with me today is Jessica Tizard, Assistant Research Professor of Philosophy at the University of Connecticut, and she is here to discuss the philosophy of pregnancy. Jessica Tizard, welcome back to Elucidations. Thank you. It's great to be back. A lot of people might wonder why we're doing an episode on pregnancy. Like, isn't pregnancy pretty straightforward? Don't we know what it is? You know, a fetus gestates inside uh, a pregnant person for a given period of time that gets born. Isn't this all something that we kind of like biologically understand pretty well? Yeah, right. You might think um, this is an area that needs to be investigated by science. Um, and we might need to still do some ethical reasoning about pregnancy. But but yeah, in terms of metaphysics, it's pretty simple and there's nothing more to ask about. Um, I think for a long, long time, we took this for granted, um, even in academic philosophy, even in professional centers for philosophy, but that's changing. Um, and people are making good arguments that there are lots of reasons to think that we do have theoretical views on pregnancy and that we take them for granted and we implicitly adopt philosophical attitudes towards the phenomenon of pregnancy and most importantly the relationship between the pregnant person and the developing fetus so there it actually is a really good arena for doing philosophical inquiry so what if i just said that uh, look pregnancy is simple being pregnant is just having a baby growing inside you um What's wrong with that? Are there some implicit assumptions that I'm making that maybe, is there like an implicit theory that I'm assuming in saying that? Yeah, well, one thing to say is that um, a fetus is not a baby. If we think about what a fetus is like and what a baby is like, they're very, very different things. Um, And we can say this, of course, biologically and medically, um, but there are further arguments that they're even very different things from a metaphysical perspective, um, in terms of philosophical questions about whether a fetus is an individual, how a fetus relates to the person that is pregnant with it. So, yeah, so I think the thing that we implicitly assume if we say that a fetus is just inside a pregnant person is that they are two separate entities, the fetus and pregnant person, and that the pregnant person simply contains the fetus, which is a distinct individual, which is more or less the same as a baby, but just happens to be contained inside of the pregnant person. And so this philosophers now identify as the container model of pregnancy. And this is the type of thing that we're now in a position to question. Yeah. Okay, good. So maybe implicit in the way I stated that when I said, oh, being pregnant is when you have a baby growing inside you. Um, That was kind of uh, running roughshod over the distinction between a baby who, like, I don't know, cries and breathes and talks and does all kinds of things distinctive of babies, and a fetus who doesn't do any of those things. What I kind of skipped over, maybe in my description, was that when birth takes place, there's a real transformation that happens. Yes, I think that's a good way of putting it. So one thing that philosophers working in this area say now is um, it's a mistake to think that birth is just a change of location. If we actually... Um, look at the science and think philosophically about what we know about pregnancy, um, we'll see that, yes, something more like a transformation is taking place. Um, We could even put it in terms of one thing becoming two. Ah, interesting. Okay, yeah, like the person's dividing or something, like a cell dividing. Right, like an amoeba, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) 
So it seems like we have two different theoretical models for the relationship between the pregnant person and the fetus. One of them is a container model, where the fetus is sort of like inside the pregnant person, the way they might be inside a room or an apartment or a cave. They're like contained in them. The other one is this idea that, well, really, like before birth, we have kind of like one person, and then that person kind of bifurcates into two people at birth. Is that right? Are those two competing sort of um, visions of what pregnancy is? Um, yes, I definitely think that that captures really well the first theoretical approach to pregnancy. Um, maybe some shorthand we could use um, is to adopt the image of a tenant in a niche, right? Where a niche just means like, like you said, a cave or an apartment. It, it is just a space that is empty and can be occupied by a physical body. The second view, I think it's underexplored. This is a new area for philosophy, and there's a lot more to figure out. So I don't know if we need to say right away, we, we need to commit ourselves to the view that something is bifurcating and splitting into two. Um, but there's certainly the thought that the fetus is a part of the pregnant person prior to birth. Okay, cool. And then in your work, you've nicknamed this the parthood view. Right. Um, not just in my work, but this is me really piggybacking off of uh, work that has been started at the University of Southampton and mainly coming from a philosopher named Elsa Lynn Kingma, to whom I'm very grateful. So maybe we could kind of um, run through some of the respects in which being a fetus in the midst of pregnancy is like being in a container and then maybe some ways in which it's not like being in a container. Yes, let's do that. I've, and we actually have a lot of subject matter to draw on just from our everyday discourse about pregnancy. We can think about all of the metaphors that we use to talk about pregnancy. So there's this expression, I have a bun in the oven, which, you know, in a way is kind of an everyday language way of encapsulating this idea of, you know, there being a container relationship here. What are some problems with that idea that, you know, a fetus is like a bun in an oven? Yeah, well, first of all, I want to say that my aim here is not to get people to stop using this expression. It's just for us to think critically about uh, what pregnancy actually is like and the extent to which metaphors can capture some aspects of it, but not all aspects of it. And I think the bun in the oven is is a good example here, right? Because, of course, physically, um, the fetus is inside the pregnant person, and we don't want to dispute that. Yeah, and they're the, not on the outside, for yeah. example, right? <laughs> Exactly. They're on the inside. And then there's also the sense in which, you know, an enormous amount of growth and transformation is taking place just as when, you know, you put a baked good into the oven. It's actually pretty remarkable, you know, all that happens during this baking process if you can watch it. And, you know, similarly, amazing things are happening over the course of a pregnancy. So I like this. I like this way of thinking about it. But um, the stuff that does not capture the nature of pregnancy is the idea that right? I can just simply open the oven door and take the bun out either when it's ready or when I want to check on it, maybe mid cooking and say it's not done yet. I can just put it back in, right? And so this way of thinking about the relationship fails to recognize the intimate physical intertwinement between a fetus and a pregnant person that makes the relationship very unlike a bun in an oven. So what if we said that the relationship was like an oven on a specific timer, so you couldn't open it until the timer was over, and then it like ejected the bun when the timer decreed that the bun will be done by then. Right, when the bun is viable, maybe. <laughs> yeah, for example. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I feel like that still misses something, because uh, even on this updated metaphor, 
we can still clearly think of the bun and the oven as completely discrete, separate individuals, right? And one is... Yeah, the bun's not plugged into the inside of the oven or something, right? Exactly, right. Um, And it's true that the bun is dependent on the oven if it wants to get baked, but there's still more to the relationship of pregnancy than that. I mean, another difference, if we're just going to get like really literal minded about everything, is that well, an oven and a bun are like inanimate objects. And uh, that seems kind of relevant somehow that they're not alive and they're like activities of living. There's no activity of living that they're engaged in with each other. Yes, that's right. I think that's extremely important for thinking about this. A lot of the, well, I should say some of the research on this topic wants to explore in depth what philosophers think an organism is. And so it it emerges in thinking about the nature of organisms that a fetus really can't count as an individual organism um, in the way that an adult human can, because it is just too dependent physiologically on the functions of the pregnant person. And so this helps disprove the container model, which thinks that the fetus is basically a separate thing. Of course, it's dependent on the pregnant person, but really it just needs it for like nutrients and, and like a safe, warm space. But it's a lot more complicated than that. If we think about, you know, the way the placenta functions, the way the internal physiology of a fetus is unlike that of a newborn and is far more dependent on things external right, to its um, physical boundaries that we associate with a human being, right, stopping at one's skin. And so there is just much more physical intertwinement than we often realize. Yeah, bun's not going to, like, die if you take it out of an oven. Right. That doesn't make any sense. (laughs) Exactly. Um, Another difference, too, that at least occurs to me is that, um, you know, fetus is undergoing absolutely profound transformation, over the course of a pregnancy, it's growing organs and a spine and a nervous system and a circulatory system and all the millions of different little body parts that a, a human being is eventually going to have. Those are like forming during this process. That also seems to be like totally absent if we're being literal minded about cooking. I mean, cooking, we're just heating something and causing a chemical reaction to happen. But you know, this is like there's chemical reactions happening, but there's like organs forming too. Right. And I think that helps capture why it's natural for us to think that um, a fetus is a fairly separate thing because, right, at a certain point in the development of a pregnancy, it does have all the organs that an adult human has and that kind of thing. But it's still true that um, these organs do not function the way they will after birth. For example, the heart doesn't pump blood in the same way. One's lungs don't work at all, right, to breathe oxygen. And so there are still profound differences that speak to the intertwinement of fetus and pregnant person, suggesting that one, that the fetus really is in some sense a part of the pregnant person rather than a self-standing individual organism. Okay, right. So it's maybe a little bit, maybe there's something a little bit weird about thinking of a, I don't know, third trimester fetus as like two thirds of a person or something. Uh, in the sense that maybe their organs are two-thirds of the way to maturity, if at that stage their organs aren't actually doing most of what they would be doing in a fully developed person. Yes, exactly. And so I think we do need to recognize a big distinction. Um, And this will have practical application, too, as we think about the future of reproductive technologies, right? When we're thinking about, you know, helping a very prematurely born infant versus gestating a fetus outside of a pregnant person's body, right? 
these are going to look like very different things because a newborn breathes oxygen and a fetus does not, right? So if you think about like sci-fi kind of gestating fetuses in tubes, right, and whether this might be part of our future, we have to take these important distinctions into account. So let's say we flash forward to a future in which we're able to actually carry fetuses through the full term of pregnancy from the zygote stage all the way to birth, quote unquote, but like in a machine, in a fancy machine that will give the developing fetus everything it needs to come to term and eventually, you know, quote unquote, be born. In that hypothetical future scenario, what would be different about the relationship between the fetus and this like incubating birthing machine and the more traditional relationship between the fetus and the person that's pregnant with it? Yeah, so I think there would be pretty huge differences. Um, Of course, the fetus would be still physically connected somehow to the machine, um, likely through the umbilical cord, if we're thinking about a fetus being gestated outside of the womb. But this connection would be pretty different because in the case of, you know, a normal human pregnancy, there is just a seamless connection via the umbilical cord between the fetus and the pregnant person, right? It's very difficult to determine whether the umbilical cord belongs to the mother or the fetus. Um, and it's then sort the umb- of a vague boundary, right? Exactly, right. And that gets even more complicated if we think about the fact that the umbilical cord connects to the placenta, which is embedded in the uterine wall. Um, and, you know, we can ask, is the placenta part of the fetus or part of the pregnant person, right? Uh, maternal blood is flowing through the placenta. It's really difficult to distinguish these two things. And it has so much tissue from both, right? Yes, exactly right. Cells from the fetus can even traverse the placental wall and end up in the body of the pregnant person because of the intimacy of this connection. So these biological facts, which make the philosophy of pregnancy a really interesting topic, just wouldn't be present in the case of the gestation outside the womb because the fetus would be connected, dependent on a machine, which is not an organism for its growth. Right, and you wouldn't. It wouldn't like continuously like bleed into the machine. Probably. I mean, I, you. I mean, it's an imaginary machine, so we can imagine whatever we want. But if we wanted to be like today's machines, the first image that comes to mind would be like, well, we cut the cord and then we'd like screw a plug onto it or something, and that, and then nutrients would come in from the machine into the fetus that way or something like that, which is just a very different kind of connection than the connection to the placenta, to the uterine wall, et cetera, et cetera. Right. Um, And I think actually it's envisioning this cut in the umbilical cord that we sort of implicitly assume when we think about the container model with a natural human pregnancy, Um, because we think after birth, the umbilical cord will be cut. And so that will be the point of separation between the two. And so that can seem to be grounds for adopting the container model and thinking of the fetus as a separate thing that's, you know, residing like a tenant in a niche. And, you know, the obvious point of individuation is at this point in the umbilical cord. But as we've just discussed, that's really not the way it works. Um, And it seems like by the same token, we could sort of use that to argue that they aren't distinct fully yet until after birth when the cord gets actually cut. Exactly right. A term that has been used in the literature is to call this a theat boundary. So it's not an actual biological boundary, right? This imagined point where the umbilical cord will be cut. It will be a physical boundary later, but it's not yet. And so why would we use what happens in future, right, to um, understand what's happening now? Uh, Okay, so we've poked some holes in the container model. 
We also discussed this sort of parthood model, according to which the fetus is somehow or other a part of the pregnant person. And the first thing that jumps to mind when I try to think about, like, well, what would it be to be a part of the pregnant person? Well, I think of, like, the pregnant person's body parts. So, like, I don't know, like, their heart or their liver, their kidney or something like that. So how far can we get with that analogy? Is the fetus like another body part of the pregnant person? Yeah, so I think the organ analogy can get us pretty far. Um, And I think there are two important things to say to make the analogy more palatable to someone who might initially be resistant to it. Um, The first is just based in biology. It's the idea that um, organs are really complex things, and they have, um, in some cases, right, they create little like local systems. For example, human testes, they have mechanisms for regulating temperature because it's important to keep sperm at a lower temperature than the core of the human body um, because they thrive and survive at, at a lower temperature, right? So we can think of organs as sometimes comprising their own little self-regulating systems in the way that we want to think of a fetus as also doing in the course of its development as it develops things like a digestive system and um, a vascular system and that kind of thing. So in that sense, a fetus can be like an organ. But then secondly, someone might worry on moral grounds that the organ analogy doesn't work because a fetus has a special moral status that other organs don't. Um, But nothing about the analogy between a fetus and an organ denies that. So I think if you are concerned about the moral point of view, that need not be a barrier to thinking of a fetus as part of a pregnant person in the way that something like a kidney is. Yeah. So you've argued that um, getting too hung up on the container model and not kind of giving enough ground to the parthood model of this relationship um, has led us a little bit astray in our discussion of um, ethical issues surrounding pregnancy. So what's an example of how taking the parthood picture seriously um, can lead to some kind of moral insight? Well, the way we've been talking about the parthood view, its defining feature is the attention it pays to the intimate physical intertwinement between fetus and pregnant person. And so if we shift to moral reasoning, the main carryover is going to be that we need to recognize this physical intimacy in thinking about ethical issues related to pregnancy. And this can, I think, be relevant to a whole host of issues from um, the abortion debate to thinking about maternal medical autonomy. So what rights does a pregnant person have to determine um, their own medical care to determine whether they're going to get a C-section or not, or right how they're going to respond to medical advice from doctors. Um, we can also think of it as applying to futuristic stuff. We've already talked about that, the ethics of non-traditional reproductive forms, uh, like potentially in the future, gestation fully outside the womb. Um, and then finally, I think this is a particularly thorny issue, the issue of maternal lifestyle choices. So thinking about um, a pregnant person in terms of, you know, their habits, what they eat, whether they exercise, all this kind of stuff, you know, how does thinking of the fetus as a part of them rather than a separate individual that just resides inside them affect our reasoning about these issues? Yeah, so this autonomy issue is very interesting to me. It seems like in many ways, people who are pregnant are often asked to give up a lot of their autonomy. And you gave examples of lifestyle choices, Um, We talked about this in episode 59 of Lucidations with Quill Kukla. Um, When you're pregnant, you're often kind of sequestered, asked to refrain from doing a lot of the stuff you would normally do. What are some of the ways that, like, 
thinking about the fetus pregnant person relationship uh, as being like a container relationship, what are some of the ways that those have impacted how we think about the rights of the pregnant person and the freedom of the pregnant person to engage in certain activities? So I think the most direct way that the container model influences our ethical reasoning is that it lays the foundation for treating the pregnant person and the fetus like two separate entities. And when we have two separate individuals like this, they can each have their own specific rights and those rights can come into conflict. And I think this is often our model for thinking about what a pregnant person is permitted to do. Um, right, We're thinking about the rights that the fetus has and whether certain actions on the part of that pregnant person infringes against those rights. And this just is in stark contrast to the parthood thesis, which would say that the fetus is not a separate individual, it is a part of the pregnant person. And so, um, you know, our moral reasoning about the situation is going to be very different. And now this doesn't mean that there aren't moral obligations involved. It, it certainly does not preclude that the pregnant person has a moral obligation to their fetus. It's just the nature of those obligations is going to be slightly different um, because of the different metaphysical framework that we are working with. Maybe uh, the pregnant person uh, is addicted to hard drugs, uh, but, um, you know, we know medically that like heavy use of hard drugs uh, is dangerous uh, for the fetus. And it seems like there's maybe a bit of a trade-off here because um, if the pregnant person, you know, shoots up heroin, then uh, they won't go into withdrawal and suffer that way. But if they refrain from shooting up heroin, they will go into withdrawal and experience a lot of pain, but then the fetus will be spared experiencing those adverse effects. So that would be one kind of case in which it seems like there could be a clash. But is there something wrong with that picture? Yeah, so I think what's wrong with it is that we still, I think, have an incomplete sense of what the relationship of harm looks like between a pregnant person and the fetus. And because our normal model for thinking about harm is applied to two separate individuals. So I go out, I have to go out of my way to sort of cross space and harm you um, in the simplest physical example, um, or also um, just through like indirect action where I fail to do something that I ought to do to prevent a harm from coming to you or something like that. But in all of these really complex moral cases, we're still talking about two distinct individuals. In the case of pregnancy, we're not, um, at least if you accept the parthood thesis, and I think there are good reasons to. So that complicates things. And so again, it doesn't suggest that it is philosophically impossible to think about the notion of a pregnant person harming their fetus through, say, the use of intravenous drugs like heroin. Um, It just means that the way we think about this relation of harm needs its own sort of category, its own sort of analysis. And I think we definitely ignore that when we, for example, legislate extremely punitively against pregnant people and punish them and imprison them and things like that because of the things that they do with their bodies while pregnant. So it seems like if we want to really get serious about the idea that the fetus is a part of the pregnant person, maybe... It's kind of more like when you have a conflict with yourself. Um, so, I mean, we could imagine somebody who's addicted to hard drugs and isn't pregnant. Well, they have a trade-off too, right? They could experience extremely uncomfortable withdrawal, and that's a form of suffering. Or they could you know, physically harm their body by indulging their habit, and that's a different kind of suffering. So there's like just a trade, even at the individual level, you know, without bringing pregnancy into it, there are these trade-offs. 
is it perhaps an implication of the parthood model that when we get into these sticky situations while pregnant, it's a little more like when we get into those sticky situations by ourselves than we might have thought. Interesting. I've never thought about it that way before. Uh, And I think there's real potential there. I would want to pursue this line of reasoning for sure. And I think one strong reason to pursue it is that, right, when we're talking about the way pregnant women comport themselves, we are going to be talking about cases where a pregnant person has decided to remain pregnant, right? They are working towards having a full pregnancy with a baby resulting at the end. And so they are invested in the health and well-being of that thing to the extent that they are capable of providing for it. So given that, I don't think it's best conceived of, right, the relationship of pregnancy is best conceived of as two separate individuals whose rights are coming into conflict with one another. It's more about a pregnant person who knows that they are fostering a future life and wants that life to come into existence, whether it's because they're a surrogate or they're going to give the baby up for adoption or they intend to have a traditional parenting role, right? In all of these cases, right, they are intending to bring this life um, into the world. They are interested in its well-being. And so in the same way that one is interested in one's own well-being. And so, yeah, so I think thinking about it in terms of, you know, balancing all the demands that and desires and ends that one has to live a good life is a better way of thinking about it as opposed to, right, like bringing the state into adjudicate conflicts between two separate people. Yeah. So as opposed to thinking of this as a situation where you have two different creatures with completely independent rights that could clash, maybe the idea here is to think of one creature planning out a whole life for the future that incorporates the future of this part of them, which part of them maybe also has some moral rights, but they're like fundamentally in it together, as it were. Yeah, I think that's a good way of thinking about it. Of course, this is, again, thinking about a case where the pregnant person intends to carry the pregnancy. Okay, right. So a voluntary pregnancy as opposed to, you know, an involuntary or accidental or other kind of pregnancy. Right. Yeah. So I think this is, we're assuming we're past the point of this person deciding whether to terminate the pregnancy or not. And they have decided, yes, I want to do this. Um, And again, I am also abstracting from unjust conditions where one is forced to carry a pregnancy against their will. I don't think that this model would apply in that case. Yeah. You mentioned terminating pregnancies, which is, of course, something that happens. Um, Do you think that thinking of the relationship as being more like this part whole thing and less like a container thing has implications for like policy discussions, the abortion debate or anything like that? Yes, I think across the board, uh, the way we conceptualize the relationship of pregnancy is going to affect the ethical and political decisions that we make about it. Um, And in the case of abortion, I think the debate tends to take for granted, and this is from the pro-choice side and the anti-choice side, that the fetus is a separate individual and it has some rights. And then the question is just, you know, are these rights such that the pregnant person would infringe upon them by having an abortion at, at whatever stage of the pregnancy we're talking about? And I think conceptualizing it in this way thinks of the decision to terminate a pregnancy or not in terms of strict duties that if they do exist, right, if I am compelled to carry on with this pregnancy and not get an abortion, are enforceable by the state. 
just in the same way that the state could intervene if I was planning to kill you or if I had killed you, um, right? They can intervene in this case and treat me like like I have I have um, killed another individual. Um, and that is the kind of conceptual framework applied to ethical reasoning uh, that the parthood model wants to call into question, right? So it'll show if we actually think about what pregnancy is like, we'll see that it's really its own kind of thing. It's its own special relationship and it's not best characterized in this way. And so instead of thinking about the decisions of pregnant people in terms of strict duties that are coercible by the state, uh, we should think of them in terms of life decisions that absolutely have moral significance, but are better captured by appeal to what ethicists like to call wide or imperfect duties. So there is moral significance here, I can fail, but the best response to someone who's trying to make these decisions well is not to put them in prison or um, radically restrict their autonomy. You know, it's to enable them to make the best decisions for themselves and their future child if they choose to have one. Okay, nice. So it's not like it's just a free-for-all. The pregnant person is just morally allowed to do whatever the heck they want under any circumstances. But it's also not the case that certain moral rules about what you can and can't do are absolutely absolute with no exceptions. Um, It seems like uh, the idea here is that, well, there's this middle ground where, yes, you know, the pregnant person can have moral obligations to the fetus, but um, it's more complicated and there's more room for possible exceptions than in the case of two individual different people. Yes, I do think that's a good way of describing it. It is more context dependent and complicated. So a lot of the current policy around this involves regulating the behavior and policing the behavior of people who are pregnant. What do you think, you know, in light of these considerations might be like a a more fruitful task for us to be engaged in? Right. I think instead of treating the pregnant person like an individual who's caught up in a moral and legal network and needs to be policed and controlled, we should think of the pregnant person as a moral being who sees the moral significance of what they are doing. Again, I want to be clear, this is in the case where this person is deciding to become a parent or to at least carry a pregnancy to full term, right? So in this case, they are someone who, you know, is morally engaged with their world and understands the moral significance of their undertaking and needs the resources and support um, in order to be able to make the best decisions for themselves and for their child if they are going to take on the, you know, complete parenting role there. So this involves information, education, legal protection, being given the time and the space to, you know, be able to have access to healthy foods, the medications they need, surgical procedures they might need, um, all of this kind of stuff. Jessica Tissard, thanks so much for coming back to Elucidations. Hope to have you back again sometime. Thank you. It was a pleasure. (laughs) The Elucidations blog has moved. We are now located at elucidations.now.sh. On the blog, you can find our full back catalog of previous episodes. And if you have any questions, please feel free to reach out on Twitter at, at elucidationspod. Thanks again for listening. Thank you.